It's a gorgeous day over here in Southern California, and thank you for being on the show. It's Gabe, your host from Gabe Yoga, and I'm sitting here with Justin Curran. And we are sitting outside, and again, oftentimes I have to make a call to record these podcasts, but so when I have a live opportunity, it's always more exciting. I get to see people in the eye, and I get to talk a little bit more before and after and hear more stories. But I'm just super excited, and I'm just going to let Justin just give us a little taste about him because we're going to dive into questions of where it started and stuff like that, but it's just a way of bringing his voice into this podcast of ours. Right. Take it away, Justin. All right, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Justin Karen. Um, I, um, I'm a uh, certified massage therapist as well as a yoga teacher. Um, I assist in the Mysore room and with my teacher, David Andrew. Um, as well as teaching at uh, Pacific Blue, a place that uh, Gabe teaches at as well, um, in Laguna Beach. Um, That's awesome. That's a good kickstart. That's an awesome kickstart. So yes, now you guys have no opportunities of coming down south to Southern California to experience more than what you believe so. Let me ask you, like, as a male yoga teacher, um, being out there in the male yoga room and as a male massage therapist, what are some of the challenges that you, as a male teacher, have experienced in the yoga room? Would you um, say? I think that, I, you know, I honestly, I think that between, I think that it's maybe for men not as as huge of a challenge in the yoga room as it is in massage therapy. I think that it's a little bit more difficult for massage therapists to uh, find clients as a male um, for a number of reasons. I think that there's some safety issues for women and a lot of time men don't want other men to touch them, so on and so forth. That's pretty easy. I think that there might be a little bit more of an advantage for men in, in, uh, as that we're more of a commodity. There aren't as many of us, yeah. and people seek us out a little more. Um, I don't know if that's fair, necessarily, but um, in my experience, that that's kind of uh, what I found. I don't know that there's um, a disadvantage to it. I think that my um, experience as a practitioner is I'm often in a room with just women and myself. Um, you know? I, but I don't know that it's a challenge. I'm I'm comfortable around I'm, I'm comfortable around the opposite gender. So no, that's fantastic. Again, <laughs> it's really beautiful to speak to a variety of different teachers and and see that some see that there's a huge advantage to being a male teacher. That yes, in the in the industry, that yeah. there's a lot less males both in the room practicing as well as in the room teaching. Right. So suddenly, when there is a strong presence from a male then that is really sought after. And then other teachers realize that they have seen other complications in the relationships sides or perhaps in just trying to convey an essence. Um, then, then for me, the idea of the podcast was just to bring light to what goes on and then invite more men to the yoga room to break down that barrier on one ah. level. So here men being able to talk about it, presenting Absolutely. it, recognizing it's like, hey, how come... I'm the only guy in the yoga room. Right. I mean, you guys are missing out. Well, this is so new, right? <laughs> that, 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 um, that, you know, when yoga was really becoming more westernized, it was, there was far more male teachers, far more men that sought out being teachers. I think it's always been more women seeking to practice, but I think that more and more now there are far more female yoga teachers than there were in the beginning. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. Yes, it's an interesting side point. And yeah. then if we go to, 
India in the presentation. I mean, Krishna Maitreya. Let's I mean, let's be honest. This is just the early 1900s. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that he was subsidized by the Maharaj, he would have never taught Indra Devi, a woman. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. He was not, that was not his choice. It, and, as much as it wasn't his choice to teach a younger, you know, he had to have that pressure from his wife. It's like you are going to work with my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really. It's really interesting. I didn't even think about that, that, that there was definitely outside pressure for him. Um, on taking a young guy as a student. Well, that I knew. That okay. I, didn't th- <laughs> I didn't think that it, there was necessarily as much pressure on him to teach women. Oh, and um, to teach Indra Devi. Yeah. Well, again, um, he's a Brahmin. He I, is a Brahmin man. And right. uh, in the height of his Brahmin career, he's already been um, somewhat been looked at as a little freakish because he goes over to the mountain for seven years at the top of his um, ed, um, like vocational career as a, as a as a Vedantic scholar, as a Vedantic professor. Right. He writes a lot. He's very respected. And then suddenly he decides, I want to go study yoga in its asana format. And he's 33. People are like, are you kidding? You're old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he is old. Most people died at 37. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> Certainly. Um, but he's, he, you know, he, he stuck around for a while. He stuck around until 103, <laughs> which provides, like, a context of the power of yoga. Absolutely. Um, and yes, like, by the time, I mean, and to give a context to Krishnamacharya having pressure to teach a woman by the Maharaj, by the name of Indra Devi, who then becomes her own right. force and field. But then Desikachar attributes the following story to what happened to him. So here's Desikachar, Krishnamacharya's son, mm-hmm. who sees his dad trying to promote this ancient practice, who sees also this strictness from his dad working with children, have right. the challenge. Obviously, if you saw your father fighting with his mom to teach someone, then you could see a little bit of that element of mm. sexism, perhaps, sure. or perhaps like um, classism. And then he decides, I'm not going to be part of this. I'm going to go to England, and I'm going to be a more civilized person. I'm going to study engineering, and he does. And here he is home on a visit. He's 31 years old. He's studying master's engineering, so it's not like he's been unaware of what's going on with his dad. And he claims that he gets home, and here is an older woman of a lower caste walking out of the house, and is extremely grateful to her dad, his dad, and then his dad goes over and hugs the woman. Oh, that must have in been a, uh, in a huge element of this gratitude. And what he sees, what Deshikachar says, he sees that there was a huge exchange of real change, meaning real health, real, real, real transformation for the woman. Hmm. And now he's extremely touched by that, both from a point of view of someone who is looking at how the world is functioning as an engineer and then becoming flooded with some of the things that may have stayed there as a culture for him as a youngster. And then he goes to his dad and he tells him, wow, dad, uh, will you teach me? I really want to, to study now what it is that created this change in you. Yeah, that's funny how that happens, right? Yeah. You, you don't, you're on one path and then you realize that you realize that yoga is the path that you want to be on, and, and it changes everything, ruins your life, but in the best way. 
So how did you how did yoga find you? How did you find or how did yoga brought you into the path? Sure. Share with that. Sure. Okay. Um so my introduction to yoga was through my wife. Uh Hallie had been practicing Bikram yoga since she was seventeen. Wow. Um so this is about two thousand and eight. Um, I was doing a lot of rock climbing and doing a lot of cycling, and I was in pretty good shape, uh, albeit in my twenties, my early twenties, and you know, drinking kind of heavily and and being a general nuisance and uh, to society. Um, but as a as like a sort of an a I don't want to say a bet, but more of an agreement, uh, Hallie had agreed to get a bicycle. Not just a, any old bicycle, but a functioning, well-fit bike and to ride it. And I would start going to yoga with her. And we both sort of fell in love with uh, our perspective, our, uh, our partner's uh, loves. And so I started, I started with Bikram. And later on in that year, at the rock climbing gym that I was a member at, I started taking Ashtanga uh, primary series with one of Richard Freeman's students, Matt Shampoo. Um, and he's still teaching up in San Francisco. Uh, he has a Mysore program that he does. Um, saw him just this past year, um, for the first time in a long time. Um, but that's kind of where I fell in love with it. I, the dynamicness of, of the Ashtanga practice, uh, was there. I found that it was pretty well suited to some of my strengths that I already had and um, I just I never looked back I pretty much uh, you know I started we moved from there to Minneapolis which is my hometown for a brief time in 2010 I started the Mysore method with Lynn, Lynn Thompsonberg at One Yoga in Minneapolis and uh, just kind of developed my practice there and I went and started doing home practice for a long while and and, um, yeah, I'm probably just getting, fast forwarding a little quickly here, but, um, that's kind of, that's what brought me to it. It was a bet, a bet brought, long a story bro- short, right. a bet a brought, bet me brought you in. <laughs> how is Holly, does Holly still ride? Uh, she does. Um, she was really itching to get back on her bike now that she is healed up from childbirth. And, right. Um, but she was riding her bike right up until they told her she couldn't ride her bike anymore because she was pregnant. <laughs> That's fantastic. And does Holly practice the same thing as you or does she, she practice a different way? Her, she's, um, she's still primarily like a hot yoga. She's a hot yoga instructor um, and her primary practice is still the t- Bikram 26 and 2. Um, but she makes it to the Mysore room once a week these days and uh, she, you know, she believes in the in Ashtanga practice for sure. No, no, the only reason is just because, like, yes, like as you said, home practice means we're practicing by ourselves. Yeah. Um, it is definitely. A, I mean, Ashtanga on its own is a lonely practice, quote unquote, since you have to guide yourself. But yeah. when we are getting up in our own home and having to practice, yeah. um, it requires a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. Ah, discipline. <laughs> it it is. Um, you know, I feel like. When you're doing home practice, it's uh, the hardest part is just starting. And once you start, it's usually just the same as if you're in a Mysore room or uh, or in a lead class. Even you're you start to go through your motions, you start to focus on your breath, 
and it starts to go by quicker and you start to look inward and it's and it's beautiful but uh, for some reason it takes a lot of it takes a lot of dedication and discipline just to make yourself do it yes. more so than it's like it doesn't make sense you can just do it next to your bed um, but for some reason it's easier for me to drive to the to the shala uh, and and be motivated by that I don't know um, I don't have a good excuse for for that um, but home home practice was a lifesaver when I didn't have uh, a regular teacher or or when I didn't have the financial means to be paying a bunch of money to uh, a yoga studio um, it it really it kept me it kept me going with the practice for sure no, and that's the power of the practice because it provides a place that we can just come back onto the mat as you said right by my bed or at the shala and then I just fall into the practice yeah. And you articulated words that I love that David Twenson loves to say. It's like, look, if you just get up and do sun citation A. No. You know, that's it. That's the practice. If you add any more, fantastic. But if you just do that, and then something will happen just because you do that. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that. And I, I left this out of kind of where my yoga journey has gone is my first teacher training I did was with David Swenson uh, in 2013 and at uh, Yoga Center in Minneapolis. Um, and he said, you know, I got to hear all his great stories about yes. Guruji and, uh, and, he's, and he said that very thing. I'm sure he says that to a lot of people that you just get to your mat and you do sun salutations. I'm sure that he's echoing Guruji and um, he's a very, very, uh, happy presence. Uh, he, you know, I, I think that, uh, that was one of the best experiences. I've, I've practiced with a fair amount of the, you know, yoga celebrities here and there, and that was one of the, it was one of the best experiences I've had, uh, was with him in 2013. That's beautiful. No, Spencer was my first introduction to Ashtanga. He was also the first to help me see what I saw before Ashtanga. It was just like a fast-paced movement that some people thought was like, oh, I get this physical exercise, where suddenly David Swenson brought back what, for me, was Patanjali, where, wait, this is just about the breath. The fact that we have these poses is, okay, nice and dandy, but let's not forget that this practice is about the breath. Yeah. And what I see often these days both in the vinyasa world, the ashtanga world, and is that there's a misunderstanding of what the breath is. A lot of inhale through the nose and exhale out the mouth. Um, <laughs> a misappropriation of what real breath to movement is. Right. Um, what is your opinion with that oh, coming from that I, school oh. of David Swenson first teacher training? Um... You know, and this is this is some there. It's been some time between uh, then and now, obviously. But um, but your experience—that's what I'm saying. Like, so now you have all this time from that that training to now, and you've had the experience practicing elsewhere, teaching elsewhere. What have you noticed going on in the yoga world, in your opinion? Um, I think that I think that often, if it's a not if it, if you're taking a class, uh, if a vinyasa class, or uh, I think that the breath seems often sort of arbitrary and people talk about paying attention to your breathing which I think is valuable um, but I I don't know that instructors are really know what they're saying when they're talking about <laughs> breathing and paying attention to your breath 
Um, and I think that when I first started doing Ashtanga, I took the breath maybe even more seriously than I should have, where I, I was very regimented about the, the I was more uh, paying attention to the amount of breaths that I was taking rather than the quality of the breaths that I was taking. I love and, that. And, and... That's a beautiful statement. You know, it's... And I think this is the sort of thing that you develop over, you know, I, it's almost 10 years of practicing yoga now, so I finally am listening, right? It's not, uh, it's not, uh, you Doesn't know, as Manju, Manju says, like, uh, 10 breaths, anything less is useless, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I... I think that it's, um, and then Shrat says, there is no Jai Pranayama, there is only, you know, breathless sound, and and I think all that's true. I, so I, I think that, I think that I used to try and make every breath as long as possible, and as loud as possible, and, and now... I try to make the breath fit the posture or the breath fit my seated practice. So some breaths are very long and very loud. Some are very short and, and there are many of them. Um, so I think that the key is to listen for where your breath is straining and where you can find more ease in in the breath and calm in the breath, and it's something I say when I teach uh, yin to people who don't get a lot of breath cue, cues. Um, that I think that you should know that each breath is an opportunity to tune into the present moment, and if we're if we're looking for meditation in our yoga practice, which I think we are. Um, that we have all these opportunities to come back to the present moment because there isn't a, there isn't a time that your breath isn't present, right? So every right. inhale and every exhale is right here and right now. And, and I think that that's very, um, it's, it's easier to calm your mind, easier to clear your mind of your to-do lists, your, uh, self self talk all that stuff if you can pay attention and just hear it yeah yeah and that's the Sorry, that's I'll, I'll, you can cut me off anytime oh no i don't want to cut you <laughs> off i love what you're saying and i mean that's a huge value to the listeners as i think oftentimes these kind of comments are lacking when people are taking yoga classes yeah. or people are trying to teach about yoga yeah whether it's because of just an identification with a physical form or whether it's just trying to perfect a particular structure and then it gets a little bit lost the reminder that wait a minute I thought we were doing this as a means of coming to this moment yeah whether it's a complicated posture which requires my complete attunement to the moment mm. or whether it's just sitting and being with my breath while I'm enjoying the sunshine yeah you know? Like, I can't remember to do that when I'm outside the mat if I don't do it on the mat. Ah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you just, it, once you're, it's like anything, you know, practice, you get better at it. And then it becomes, it begins to inform the rest of your life, right? And I think that's what that 1% theory is, right? That 
that uh, you don't know why, but all of a sudden you're able to rein yourself in where you would have gotten angry about something before you're able to be like, ah, it's okay. And, and I think that that comes from the breathing. Um, and it comes from the discipline and it, and you know, you want to start to be more of a peaceful person, you know, the more control you have over yourself, the more you're able to you know, realize that, you know, being angry all the time or act, activated all the time doesn't give, doesn't give you any benefits. It doesn't, uh, make the world a better place doesn't make your life happier right if you uh respond to things everything that you're stimulated with right yeah no, and i love what you said that it it's the practice you know both patabi joyce and again i may not like the man himself but bikram words and the practice and what he at least yeah. tried to bring forward from bishnagush in my opinion are both the same here's two teachers that brought a physical practice to yeah. the world that was a healing practice. Primary theory is to heal your body. 26 poses is to heal the body. The fact that you can go from there. I mean, Patabi Joyce himself liked to say, it's like, look, the, the third, the advanced series is just for show. Right. You know, right. the primary series for health. Second is just for teachers. Um, the third is just for show. Demonstration. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you have here these teachers that are just pointing out, like, okay, we have these poses. You need to do them. Yeah. Because you got to have a practice. You got to have something that you do. But if you do it, Patabi Joyce points out 99% practice, 1% theory. Richard Freeman likes to add to that. It's like, well, when you have 99% practice, meaning you get up, you do it, then 1% becomes 100%. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, because now you don't, that part is no longer like a thought wise. Right. Well, and then, and then you know, you spend whatever few years only learning asana and breathing and and then you try and read the sutras or or uh you know the hatha yoga pradipika and all of a sudden it's like oh right this totally <laughs> makes sense to me even though it, it would have never made sense before right exactly uh, exactly and and uh yeah 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 and Bikram himself is like hey if you show up just show up. Yeah. Just come to this room. You know what I mean? Like, again, the power of that practice is like, you just have to show up here. You know, and then that's a lot of effort. Yeah. You know, anyone who's ever done a 30-day challenge, you know, that's right. a huge amount of effort to show up. Yeah. But he's like, look, if you just show up here and do this practice, the rest of your life will change. Yeah. And anyone who's, again, put himself to the challenge of going regularly to a practice that is designed for transformation... Yeah, and that's one of the best, like, parallels that both of those practices have, I think, is this, uh, uh, that the rest is coming. Like, you're, that if you show up and you work on the postures and you, and that's, that's what you can commit to doing, the rest of the stuff comes. You're not, you know, I think it probably takes many life, lifetimes for enlightenment to happen, right? But, uh we can get some peace in our day-to-day life and I think that that yoga helps that a lot <laughs> yeah 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 you know one great teacher said you want an, you want enlightenment then just lighten up <laughs> <laughs> I like it I like it that's great so, so what you what would you say inspired you to go to teaching um 
was it just that David because David travels and David's most of his work is around week or ten days of teacher training programs and then you get to hang out with him right so that might have been that was a the huge reason, part of or, it. that was a huge part of it for me especially at the time I didn't have any uh, other yoga certification that was the that was the only and I was like oh uh, an experience, and, and especially in Minneapolis, not a lot of people make it to the cold, cold north. Correct. Like it, it's right in the smack dab in the middle of the country, and it's very cold up there. It's not a great vacation place. So you just, when you, I mean, it's beautiful for three months out of the year. The summer is fantastic. It's not a better place on the planet than Minneapolis in the summer. But it's real cold the rest of the year. Um, and so I took the opportunity, like I had David Swenson's book, I, you know, uh, seen plenty of stuff of his on YouTube and I was like, well, you know, I've been practicing the Mysore method, like this is a great opportunity. How, how often does this come along? And, um, so I went and that was my first taste of, uh, teaching. I felt like I was pretty, pretty good at it. And I felt like my dedication to the practice, my own personal practice uh, served me far better than the teachers who already had their certifications and their 200 hours and they were already teaching at core power or a gym or something like that. I felt like I had a, um, a much bigger leg up because of dedication to the Ashtanga practice that I had prior to coming into that. So there was always this desire after that as like, okay, I really want to teach and I didn't have... Again, I didn't have a 200-hour certification, so at that point, there's not a lot you can do with that. You can't just go to a gym because all they care about is the piece of paper. that piece of paper, right? Um, so it, it wasn't until after I'd gone through 900 hours of massage therapy training, learning anatomy, um, and another uh, several years uh, between that time that I felt like I was actually, you know, worthy of teaching. And so I, I think that a lot of people practice yoga for six months and they're like, all right, I'm going to go get a certification. And I just oh, man, never I know felt... people who practice for two weeks and right. get a certification. Right. So, <laughs> I, and I just never felt like that, that was for me. I, I, and still to this day, I feel very humbled, uh, teaching and I, I feel like I'm pretty good at it, but I, but I'm also... I'm also aware of my place in the in the greater scheme of things. There's people, you know, I'm coming up on a decade. There's people with multiple decades of uh, practice and teaching. So um, I try and remain humble, and I try and uh, let that serve me. And I try and and so after getting some anatomy knowledge, which was huge with massage therapy, and uh, it, and getting to know what the what 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 a properly functioning body and how everybody's body is different, um, did I feel uh, like I was ready to go and get a, a the piece of paper mm. and uh, and begin teaching and I've and it's been a great journey since it's almost uh, almost two years of teaching now um, and uh, yeah I just I. I think that that I think there was always probably a call to it, but it was I just never I don't want to say I didn't feel worthy. I just felt like so many people had cheapened yoga uh, 
that I didn't want to I didn't want to add to that. Mm. So it, it, cool. it took me a while. I wanted to really be developed in my own practice, and uh, and really be. Um, I didn't want to come in there and hurt anybody either, because you know, an Ashtanga adjustments are pretty commonplace, and I feel like you should know should know what the body is supposed to do or what the body can should look like and uh and know that everybody and at the same time is totally different so you know not to hurt a person right right um so yeah i don't know but i think that there's probably always a call to teach man you're gonna have to edit this down uh (laughs) oh man i love it but because like it's such a raw and honest and just like a beautiful journey from your coming from a real practitioner side spending that time practicing and then choosing to be conscious of what's going on in the yoga environment and not wanting to add to a similar thing yeah what would you say are some of the challenges that you see that are facing yoga students out there because i mean oh um I think that. I mean, for me, I like because, like, you talked about hot yoga. So, Ashtanga is one place. Ashtanga is not a really taught verbally. But if we look at the hot yoga world, and ever since now, we can just call anything hot and take the Bikram thing and teach it. Awesome, glad people are doing it. But there's something in Bikram that has to do with teaching abilities that seems to be lost sometimes yeah. in just, oh, let's do yoga in the hot room. Yes. And let's do a vinyasa class. Yeah, so I don't like, <laughs> I, I don't like a heated vinyasa class, I'll tell you that. And so there's a consequence I, 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 to students. I'm wondering what, in your opinion, is some of those that you see. Sure. Um, I think that some of the, the original ideas uh, get lost. So, like, you're talking about this concept that that anything can be called hot yoga now and and you take everything and and it it can be a heated vinyasa it can be uh power power hot yoga or yeah, whatever yin. yeah yeah I have hot, hot yin yoga no <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no no it doesn't make sense but no. there is <laughs> yes um i i think that these things can be developed thoughtfully um, and I think one thing that David Swenson said was that, you know, yeah, you can change things in yoga, but, you know, just don't call it Ashtanga. Right. You know? <laughs> um, I, you know, I see these people with these beautiful practices. Um, it looks like yoga to me. Um, but, you know, if you're going to change it, just don't call it Ashtanga. I, I, I respect that. So, and I, I think that anything that gets a person to the mat, um, is a good reason. And, uh... You know, what's right for me isn't necessarily right for someone else. Um, that said, you know, when uh, Hallie started doing uh, hot yoga, she really, because of her Bikram background, really um, sort of pushed her studio in the direction of um, keeping it to the 26 and 2 postures. And she, granted, she doesn't use the Bikram dialogue, the quote-unquote copyrighted dialogue but she still teaches the postures more or less the same way with maybe just a little bit more kindness yeah exactly, um, exactly. and so i think that there's there's benefit to change um but it has to be thoughtful and it has to come from people who are um again experienced and 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 um 
I think that's a key word, that experience. Like, I think I mean, it's important. A huge amount. I mean, we just talked about, like, here, people going from two weeks, one month, six months, and now I'm a teacher. Right. And which, I mean, again, on some levels, Yoga Alliance does a great work for managing, but then yeah. has created this environment that within 200, here you talked about becoming a massage therapist at 900 hours, and yeah. here's someone with 200 hours, they just, I get to go touch, manipulate, tell you, and all that. Right. Where, and now, not just one person, but rather multiple amount of people. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, like, throw around the word, you know, like, cheapens or anything, but it seems like that, that could be a, uh, possible side effect of oversaturation of the yoga market, right? Um, it might be a bubble, right? It, it might be uh, a fad right now, and we'll, things will kind of start to go back to the way they they were, where it's just us weirdo yogis yeah. <laughs> practicing, and, they're on, and the rest of the world is on to something else. I hope not. I hope that, um, that, that people stay with it, because I think that um, no matter what your practice is, if you're becoming more kind... The world certainly needs more of that. Right. Exactly. I know. And that's what practice does, right? Right. We, 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 at the end of the day, regardless of what you do, like people going into the mat or people going into an environment of exercise or people going into a massage room to get a chance to connect to themselves, relax, have a way of coming out into the world slightly more soft, making the world hopefully a little bit softer. Yeah. What would you tell your earlier self then, after all these years now that you're starting to teach? How would you tell your earlier self about what to do to succeed here? Or would you follow the same path that you just mentioned to gain the experience that you've done? Yeah, I try not to time travel too much. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's why questions like these are. <laughs> yeah, um, I try not to... It's. It, I mean, it's difficult to not live in the future or live in the past. Um, right. So... But this is, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, um, I would probably tell myself to not be so hard on myself mm. about uh, shortcomings uh, early on, because I think that it does... it. it you get better naturally, um, slowly over time. So your diet gets better, your uh, discipline gets better, and you know I had a lot of times where I would come away from my yoga practice for long periods of time, you know, and it was it would just destroy me emotionally and I would get really hard on myself and then it would make it harder for me to get back to practicing again right. and so I think that I would just ask myself to be more kind to myself uh, and not, and, not uh, and, and just to be able to let things go a little bit easier um, not to uh, take the asana so seriously maybe either um, and uh, maybe um, not place so much uh, value on or uh, weight into little aches and pains and uh, <laughs> and whatnot because I feel like people run away from pain and I think that 
pain is very uh, it's there for a reason it's meant to make us back off but I think you can learn from it if you don't run from it and uh, you know I'm not saying that I should have pushed myself and made myself hurt myself further but um, maybe not let it scare me as much nice well, I mean, pain's a valuable teacher. And, yeah. I mean, Michael Gano has a comment where he talks about how he's in all this physical pain practicing advanced series. And going to Guruji's, like, dude, why, why am I going through all this pain? <laughs> like, what's the benefit? Yeah. Like, oh, well, no benefit, but your body can do it, so you're pushing your body. And it's not that... So the pain is sometimes, like, just the discomfort and yeah. stuff of that, correct? I'm, like, I'm not trying to break myself. Right. But I am trying to grow beyond myself, yeah. and that requires... Some pain. Some pain. Yeah. Some courage. Well, and, I mean, we hold so much emotional tension in our body. We hold uh, old injuries in our body, and the postures that we hold to protect ourselves are often very uh, not conducive to being open and... Uh, and to rewire that in your body and in your mind is, it's not comfortable. Yeah, yeah no, you said it. And that's <laughs> the fun part of seeing what does, what practice does, you know? Yeah. And, become, and we start from a certain place, and then when you practice regularly, you realize that we have these ups and down plateaus. Yeah. And that uh, even with regular practice, there are days that life <coughs> is what it does. And I think Ramana Rishi brought Ashtanga. Intended on helping the average person with a wife or a husband and kids, the householder, to have a practice that would give them the benefits that Patanjali was trying to suggest, that you would then go to the top of the mountain and sit on your own, which was, okay, well, that's just not going to happen for most of us. <laughs> right. You know? True. Let me have something that is actually feasible. Yeah, tangible. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would you have to for some tips for yoga teachers? from your experience some maybe one or three tips I would say I would say listen to everybody but always have a grain of salt you know Um, you're going to be you're going to know what's best for you and uh, and your students are going to find you Um, you know not every teacher is right for every person and uh, and and so don't don't get so hung up on it's not it's really not about you it's about it's about the yoga right so it's it's not a performance you don't need to you don't need to people please you just know that if you're presenting authentic yoga to your students your students will come and there will be uh, benefit and it and it won't it won't necessarily be um, really obvious in the beginning but you'll see it oh, I love that that's awesome yes because that's so true yeah. it's like it happens and you ha- it requires a certain amount of trust and what I find most fun in these kind of podcasts is especially for if you're a new teacher or even a newer student or even if you're an advanced brother to hear from other people that trustability that things happen over time that 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 really just like if you put in the time things kind of are different in five years and yes it's very challenging because 
It's just it's like three months or six months into practice. It's like yes, but it's like a marriage, you know. I mean, it's like yeah. <laughs> it gets it gets it gets real when it's ten years. <laughs> yeah, and probably more real again in another ten. Right. Yeah. But even one teacher of mine was like, "Look, the first ten years is a honeymoon." Right. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And well, I think, oh, here's the other thing. Yes. Um, the other advice that I would say is to not not lose your own practice. I hear lots of yoga teachers complaining about, oh, I never get to get to practice anymore. And there, there is no excuse for that. You, you, need to, you need to put your own life vest on first. You can't help anyone. You're of no service to anyone if you're not caring for yourself first. And... and and I really, I really, truly believe that I, you'll wreck your body trying to demo stuff for people if you're not mindful in your own practice. And if you're not practicing, you know? if you're not practicing, you're going to wreck yourself. And the authenticity that comes because we practice, like you mentioned yourself about, look, I practiced for so long. I showed up to a teacher training program, and I could see that that there was a quality difference between me and people who have a piece of paper, right? Which only because of the fact that I said, look, I'm just practicing. You know, a younger has a comment, he goes to some interviewers and he says, but all of you read about yoga. Right. But I know yoga <laughs> because I'm doing it. I'm yeah. feeling it. I know what's going on in my toe. And yeah. It doesn't require standing on the head or doing a handstand, but it does require, as you said, practice, yeah. conscious meditation, yeah. awareness. Yeah. No, this was awesome. I really want to thank you for taking the time and, yeah, and sharing this with them. I'd love for the, the, the listeners to be able to know how to actually find you depending on what you'd like them to find your work as. You'd like to share with them. If, I know you shared where you teach at, at Pacific Blue and assist at the Meister Room with David Andrew, but is there any other things you'd like for them to be able to reach you out as? Um, besides just classes in the public? Do you have a website, an Instagram? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, I'm sort of inconsistent with my social media. I pay more attention to to it than I participate in it. Um, I do have an Instagram account that's uh, just in there. It's J-U-S-T-E-N-T-H-E-R-E. Um, and uh, I usually post my uh, class schedule there. I teach at Raw Yoga in Costa Mesa and Newport Beach. Oh. twice a week uh, but that's yin um, restorative uh, that's on uh, Wednesdays and uh, Saturdays um, come, I mean I, come find me anywhere perfect I, yeah so the best way is just to kind of look up and yeah. see and, yeah. and then as you mentioned like you have a schedule that does show up itself up once in a while yeah. over anytime I update anytime I have a change in my schedule I update it on okay. my social media um, both Instagram and Facebook and Facebook yeah. okay fantastic yeah. so I'll so put those links up on the blogs awesome they both follow and then you'll be able to kind of click and see that sweet um, and hopefully you guys took some a lot of great value from that some great tips there I love that aspects about practice that comes over and over again so remember just get into your mat whatever happens even if it's just one sun citation the rest of the day will be better Ah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Gabe. My pleasure. Namaste, everyone. Namaste, Namaste. Justin. <laughs>